So I have a little dog named Jax. He's the tiniest little thing. And I know what half of you are thinking. We don't want to hear a story about a yappy little dog. Because let's face it, you're used to stories from Alice about her big, beautiful chocolate lab named Stella. And all you have to do is look at a picture of those big brown eyes, and you immediately fall in love with Stella. She, of course, is the champion of dogs. And she's funny enough that Alice frequently entertains us with stories told in the usual shyry style that makes us laugh and just picture ourselves in the midst of the fiasco. But my dog, Jax, is also hilarious, and what he lacks in size, he makes for in personality. In fact, he has no clue that he is not a big dog. And if I had to guess, I would guess he pictures himself somewhere along the size of a Great Dane than the 10-pound puppy is. Here's a picture. Now, we got him when he was three. He was the runt of the litter, but quite a handful. The first time I met Jax, he was in a horse pasture herding a couple of horses and doing it quite well because we had to rescue the horses from Jax, not the other way around. Now, we also live on an acreage, and this is where Jax has earned the nickname Foxhole Normand. Now, he got this nickname because he has a strict rule that no farm cat can come within 20 feet of our house. And so what he does is he digs holes on the border of this, this imaginary line. And then he crawls inside and he waits. And when a farm cat approaches this imaginary border, he launches surprise attacks at them from the hole. I keep waiting for the day when one farm cat stands up to him and realizes he's absolutely no threat at all. And that's just scratching the surface on this big personality. Here's a few other fun facts about Jax. He likes to swim. He likes big dog bones. He sleeps in a big dog bed. And best of all, when Stella Shirey came for a weekend visit on the Cameron farm, guess who got routed from her own pet bed? Stella. Because Jax claimed it. I think I have one more picture. Because Jax claimed it along with Stella's favorite fish toy. As you can see, he's a little dog with all heart. And he has this big personality that's a continual source of joy and laughter in the Cameron household. The problem is, is that Jax is now 15 years old. And time now is spent caring for him, making sure he's getting enough to eat, waking up several times in the middle of the night to take him out and holding him while he sleeps because time is short and he is so very precious to us. I cannot picture life without him. And the other day, I was struck with an overwhelming grief knowing that soon, whether it's a month from now or six, we would be saying goodbye to the little dog that charmed his way into our hearts and home And the pain was unbearable. I was struck with this overwhelming sense of grief. And there was a lump in my throat the size of a beach ball. And it felt like an elephant was sitting on my chest. And tears started flowing. And in that moment, God wrapped his arms around me. Pulled me in close. And he said, I felt the same way about you. I knew sin separated us. And I couldn't bear the thought of being separated from you. And so I had to do something. 
I had to send Jesus because I couldn't let humanity suffer in this way without an end. God feels grief the same way you and I do. And the thought of being separated from you was more than he could bear. Because of that, God cares about the brokenhearted because he can relate to it. So we had a plan from the very beginning to address it because he knew we needed him. Now, I know that there might be several of you out here that don't have an emotional connection to a pet, or maybe you've never been faced with the death of a pet, and so uh, you're having a hard time connecting with my story. And I want to let you know that's okay. Um, I totally understand if you cannot connect emotionally. I'd expect that from cat people. (laughs) Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we invite you into this place this morning. Will you connect with our hearts in these places where we're broken and sadness dwells, where grief is lurking in all the places that we hide from others pretending we're okay? Lord, we want you to meet us in those places this morning. We want to hear from you. Will you let us leave here marked by your continual thread of redemption in our lives? Amen. So this is our last week in the book of Isaiah, and we're in this series called God's Plan, Our Need. And I love that because it hints at the fact that God had a plan long before you and I had a need. They sometimes catch us off guard. We don't know that we have them, but God planned long before you and I were faced with those situations to have a plan in place. And I was talking with my best friend from high school the other day, and she quoted something to me that her pastor continually tells her congregation. And this is what she said. She said, our God is a God of continual plan A's. Our God is a God of continual plan A's, no plan B's. And this is what she meant. She meant that our God is so good, so powerful and sovereign and redeeming that he's never left scrambling to come up with plan B for your life, my life, or the world. Our sins, our wounds, and mistakes can't stop his goodness. Our mistakes don't define us because he gets the last word over sin, pain, and death. And it's so good because it's so true. And yet how many of us don't let him have the last word? How many of us let our mistakes define us? How many of us didn't know we could have a new plan A when the original plan fails? And so this is where we're going to pick up our story, in the, near the end of the book of Isaiah. And so let me give you a reminder of what Ed said in that very first video introduction that we watched. Um, this is from several weeks ago. Judah the southern kingdom, one of the two parts of the divided nation of Israel, has become subject to the rising power in Assyria. And the future is uncertain and it's terrifying. And Isaiah's been prophesying over the people on how their practices and decisions and idol worship has brought them to this point. And then we get to chapter 40 and everything changes. The tone of the writing, the intent of the writing, And it's like God starts speaking slowly over his people, this marvelous plan of redemption, to bring them back out of captivity and to restore them. 
But this is not the only thing these chapters contain. These chapters also contain prophetic writing about the promised Messiah and the ultimate restoration that's going to come through Jesus. And so these passages are relevant for us today because you and I also live in a time when the future seems terrifying and uncertain. And so I'm going to read to you a famous passage of scripture from Isaiah 61. Please follow along with me. I'll start in verse 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And so the first thing I want to mention is that this sure seems like plan A. It kind of seems like God's mission statement for both Israel and Judah. And you kind of know what God's about when you read this. He's anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor, the meek, and the broken. He's sent to bind up the brokenhearted, the hurting, and the wounded. He's proclaiming freedom for everyone in captivity or in bondage in some way. And he's swinging wide open the prison doors to release everybody in chains. And if that wasn't enough, he's there to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this is what that means. To tell Israel that God loves them with an unending love and passion where they're concerned. And yet, do you know their circumstances? They're being oppressed by other nations. They're corrupted because of idol worship. And the kingdom's divided. They're a hot mess. And when they came out of Egypt hundreds of years prior, God wanted to take them right into possession of the promised land, to dwell with them, to bless them, and then to bless the entire world through them. And they messed that up. And things haven't gotten better by this point. So Isaiah said, hey, guess what? God's got a new plan A for you, and this is it. He, God's going to send the Messiah, and he's going to do a few things to set you free, because he's always been the plan. Jesus has always been God's plan A. So this is where you and I need to start paying attention to also, because the way that God's going to accomplish this is through Jesus. And they might not have known it back then, but we can look back and see the whole plan unfold and still unfold today. And so fast forward 700 years to the time of Jesus. His fame is spreading like wildfire. And throughout Israel, everyone's talking about him. They've seen the miracles he's performed. They've heard about the things he's been teaching and how different it is. And he's famous at this point. So what Jesus does, because he's famous, is he returns to his hometown. And Israel is once again experiencing oppression from an outside source. But this time, it's at the hands of the Roman Empire. And this is what it says in Luke 4, starting with verse 16. Now note that Jesus is declaring that this scripture from Isaiah is about him. And so he came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up, as his custom was. 
And he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, and to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. That's the exact same thing as the year of the Lord's favor. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so I want to spend the remainder of my time this morning talking to you about one element that Jesus declared he was here to do. And that is to bind up the brokenhearted. It says in the Psalms that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. How many of you today walked in with a broken heart? A place inside where pain reigns and the wound is so great that even talking about it brings waves of agony. We're all brokenhearted in some place. Maybe it's a past wound that's impossible to get closure with. Maybe it's a present circumstance that situations continually rub salt into. Maybe you're divorced. Maybe you're raising kids on your own and you just long for the help of a spouse or for someone who can just relate to what you're going through. Or maybe you're sitting here and your kids are grown up and gone and now that emptiness that rules your house is unbearable. And maybe you just lost a spouse. And you want to come home at the end of the day and share things, but you can't. And you just miss them so much. And maybe you're working a job you hate. And it is slowly killing you inside. And you wake up screaming, knowing that you have to go and earn a paycheck. Because you have a family to support. And maybe you have a loved one sitting in prison right now. And the shame is unbearable. And they've left you alone, and now you're just trying to survive it. Or maybe you're single. You've been single so long that you're wondering, what is wrong, and why can't I find someone? Or maybe you're like me, one who longs for children, but time is dashing that hope to pieces. Sometimes my broken heart feels more like an identity that my husband and I cannot escape. The first thing anybody ever wants to know is how many children we have. And it's like a banner we are forced to wear, and yet no one mentions out of politeness. It pains me to know there is no pictures of loved ones on my wall. There is no kindergarten roundup in my immediate future, and there's no colorful pictures hanging on my fridge. I experience grief when every holiday rolls around. Or when I see my husband play with our nieces and nephews and I see the longing in his eyes that rivals mine. And there's a sense of dread as I picture a long future of our older years with no celebrations of graduations or marriages or grandchildren or family Christmases in our home. And I worry that there'll be no one to take care of us in our twilight years, to visit us, 
to take us to doctor's appointments or help us go grocery shopping. It is easy to take something like having children or grandchildren for granted when you have them. It's an entirely different thing when you want them and they're just out of grasp. My heart breaks each and every time I hear a young couple casually talk about future plans for kids when for us, daring to dream this dream is so very costly. Now I'm sharing this with you for a reason and it's not to fix me. I do not give you permission to come up afterwards and suggest adoption or medical procedures without knowing more background than what I've shared. But I'm sharing this with you because it's my prayer that you will recognize the Lord's work in my life and begin to realize that if he's willing to do this for me, then he's willing to do this for you. And so now that I've set my boundaries, I'm going to finish with a message of hope. Whatever situation we're facing, and it might look different than mine, but the truth remains is that brokenness has robbed us of life in some form. And Jesus, through the words of the prophet Isaiah, said, The Lord has anointed me to bind up the broken heart. And so I was curious on what this phrase to bind up meant. Uh, so naturally, my mind goes to sewing or patching something. Oh, or for you guys, it'd be like using duct tape. <laughs> Here's the problem with that. A few years ago, my husband had this pair of pants. He's a police officer, so at that time, he wore a uniform to work. Um, so he had this pair of pants, but the seam in the backside of his pants was splitting apart. And he's going to be so mad I'm telling you this story. But if you can't laugh at your loved ones, who can you laugh at? Okay, so the seam's pulling apart. And one day at work, they split wide open. And then for the rest of the week, he's the butt of everyone's jokes. And these pants are beyond repair before they split. So you can imagine what condition they are in after the split. And I see all the women shaking your heads right now. And you're hoping I'm going to talk about socks and underwear next that I'll give you the biblical basis behind replacing your husband's items more than every five years. But um, I cannot help you. I took this picture two weeks ago. <laughs> That's his sock. He was wearing it. I'm, I'm as hopeless as you guys are. So his pants, like his sock, are beyond repair. They have to be replaced. Now this is the idea behind the terminology for binding up the brokenhearted in Isaiah. Isaiah uses this ordinary expression synonymously in his writings for the word for healing. Meaning it's not going to be a quick fix. Or he's not going to bandage it. He's not going to put a patch on your broken heart. He's not going to sew it up with thread or hold it together with fabric glue. He's going to make it like new. What the Lord desires to do for the brokenhearted is to make us whole, to heal, to cure, to free from sins and holes, and make us complete in the process. He's not going to repair our hearts so there's a visible scar remaining. He's going to heal it as if it's entirely new. Now, the hard thing in this is it doesn't necessarily mean that circumstances change. Sometimes situations linger on without resolution. But what we can learn in the process is that God is close to the brokenhearted. He has a tenderness towards us that propels him to act on our behalf. And if you and I can learn to lean into the Lord during this time, 
then we will experience a wholeness that only he can bring. The pain, grief, sadness, mourning will be replaced with his joy, his strength, his perspective, and his peace. Isaiah says this about whom the Lord comforts. Instead of a spirit of despair, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. And so let me tell you how the Lord's in the process of binding up and healing my broken heart. First, he has supernaturally enabled me to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn and comfort those mourning. And I say supernaturally because I have to set myself aside when friends come and tell me they're pregnant for the third or fourth time. But from a deep down place, rooted in his goodness and faithfulness to me, he enables me to rejoice with them, even to celebrate. And he continually sends people into my path who need love and encouragement in the midst of their own heartache. He never lets me dwell in my own sadness, but he asks me to be there to comfort others. Now, this might not seem like a big deal to you or even something worth recounting, but what it does for me is it gives me a chance to share the Lord's goodness, his faithfulness, and his tenderness towards the brokenhearted, and so remind myself of it. He reminds me of scriptures to share. He reminds me of promises to share. And in the mist, he uses these things to speak to my own heart. And these are the moments that bind and heal it and make it like new. Most of the time, I leave these encounters encouraged and reminded of the Lord's favor over my life. Now, secondly, I have learned a thing or two about faith. I know God didn't cause this situation, nor does it cancel his promise for a family. No circumstances are more powerful than God's promises. I have learned that tough situations will not override his faithfulness to me. Rather, they make it more apparent. And what I mean by that is crisis does not limit him to act on our behalf. And while faith to the outside observer may look like a hopeless wish, the Bible says it's the title deed to the things based and promised and hoped for. Faith in God and in his promises means I already have what he wants to give me, regardless if I can see it with my eyes right now. And I feel like God's given us a few promises from his words to cling to right now. And while waiting is very hard, it does not have the power to take away hope. And hope is what keeps us going. Circumstances cannot override his promises. So while I wait, I remind myself that God has a plan, a good plan, a continual plan A for me, my husband, and a family. And this excites me. Instead of a spirit of despair, they'll be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We have hundred-year-old oak trees at our place, and they've withstood century of wind, rain, snow, and drought. And they're massive and beautiful. And God says this about whom he's freed, restored, and healed, that they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. 
When God binds up and heals our broken hearts and makes them whole in the places where brokenness reigns, then no one will be able to deny the work he's done in our lives. God promises that we'll be strong, fruitful, and useful in this world. A thing of great beauty, not of sadness and weakness. So in the time we have left, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Will you just close your eyes for a minute? I'm just going to start by inviting Christ into this moment. God, in these places where our pain is the greatest, will you start us on a journey of wholeness? Will you begin to bind up and heal our broken hearts? God, we know you have a plan, a good plan, a continual plan A, no matter what we're facing. Because nothing we're facing has caught you off guard or surprised you. Will you show us how to trust you in this and how to have joy in the midst? Will you remind us of your promises and let those be the rocks we cling to when life is hard and circumstances seem hopeless? Thank you for the promise of binding up and healing our broken hearts. Amen. Now you can open your eyes. I'm going to ask you to recite a few promises with me. These promises are for scripture, from scripture that the Lord has for you and me, and they speak of his faithfulness to bring joy into our lives no matter what circumstances we're going through. So will you read these with me? The Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust in him. The next one is like salve to my own soul. Read with me. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And this last one is a promise that only he is able to bring to pass. Read with me. You have turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy. Now I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite Doug up to lead us in communion. We're going to take communion together, and then we're going to sing to the Lord. And for some of us, this might be a sacrifice. It's going to be hard because right now, in this moment, it hurts. But God's not going to leave you in that place of pain. Because he promises, instead of a spirit of despair, you will be called an oak of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So I invite you to sing from those places of pain and hurt, because that's where God's going to meet you today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for beginning the process of binding up and healing our broken hearts this morning. We've heard your word and of your tenderness towards those of us who are sad and who came in here today feeling like giving up. Thank you for meeting us in those places. And as we leave here today, will you continue to speak to our hearts this message of encouragement for whatever situation we're facing as you continue to unravel your continuous plan A in our lives? Will you remind us that we will be a thing of great beauty in your eyes. Thank you that you came for the brokenhearted. 
to bind them up and to make them like new. Amen.